Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, добро пожаловать в Prevail. Это второй сезон нашей борьбы с криминальными сволочами. Ваш ведущий Грег Олеар. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show from Black Women Views Media. Reese Colbert is here. This has been a crazy week. I actually, I recorded an intro at the beginning of the week to do that was kind of funny and about coming back from Thanksgiving and stuff. And it's not, it just feels ridiculous to even run that now. I mean, in the last couple of days, we found out, okay, through Hugo Lowell's work at The Guardian, we found out, yeah, Trump was talking to the people at, uh, you know, at the Willard Hotel the night before the insurrection. And yeah, yeah, he was in touch with all these planners and plotters. So we found out that, that yes, in fact, the president of the United States, who we thought was a big traitor, was in fact and is in fact a big traitor. We knew this, but yet more evidence to support the fact that the guy's a fucking crook. That's a. Then we find out through his idiot chief of staff, Mark Meadows, this guy who is just this mouth-breeding lummox moron, writes in his book, because these fuckers all have to have a book, of course, that Trump had covid a couple of days before he said he had COVID, he had tested positive and went to the event where he met with the Gold Star military families and to the debate where he was basically spitting on Joe Biden, trying to infect him. So I don't understand what, what more evidence do we need that this guy is a psychopathic asshole who's trying to kill everybody? I mean, he, there's a body count. The body count is approaching a million people that he's killed. And everyone's like just going along with their day like everything's just fine. And the media is covering uh, Biden-Harris like this is everything is all hunky-dory and we're just talking about poll numbers and the horse race, right? It's ridiculous bullshit, which is why I'm glad Reese is here because we're going to cover this the, the, the way that the press has been covering Kamala Harris, which is a fucking atrocity. It's just disgusting the way the press covers her. So we're going to take it right back to them. 
and uh, tell you exactly what has been happening there and not the, the goddamn narrative that these people want you to believe. These, these ridiculous, incestuous beltway fucks. You know, they just go back to the little notepads. Oh, yeah. Oh, Trump had COVID a couple days earlier. Well, then he tried to kill Biden. Then it's it's attempted murder. Because at that time, there was no vaccine. Biden is in his late 70s. If he got that thing, God knows what happens. Trump went out there and willingly and knowingly put everybody at risk. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever. And of course, this is all overshadowed by this heinous atrocity that's happening right now at the Supreme Court where these horrible, horrible people that this criminal asshole has installed there, including one probably rapist, drunk, who lied a bunch of times under oath. I'm so sick of talking about this asshole, Kavanaugh. Another guy who was credibly accused of sexual harassment, Clarence Thomas, who is just a intellectual nothing. Alito, who we like to call Scalito because he doesn't like that. Another guy who is a, just an intellectual uh, lightweight. And then this, this handmaiden lady, Amy Covid Barrett. These people are going to take the rights away from women. They're going to overturn Roe. In the name of what, I have no idea. I can't imagine something more authoritarian than the state forcing a woman to carry to term a pregnancy she does not want. I can't imagine anything more authoritarian than that. It's pretty awful, okay? And the Republicans are all fine with it. It, it. It's just, it's disgusting. All of these people are disgusting. And I don't know what we can do about it at this point other than make noise. I know there's there's a, a rosy outlooks about these things. Like, well, if they do take Roe away... That's going to galvanize the Democrats and, and women and, and hopefully men, not just women. This isn't just a women's issue, by the way. It's men's issue, too. It's a, it's a person issue. Um, it's not just a women's issue. Hopefully, it'll galvanize everybody at the midterms, blah, 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 blah. But that misses the bigger picture, okay? The point of a government and a functioning, civilized society is to protect the weakest members of that society, in my view right? That's what a good society does. So we're getting on with that. We've been doing good work to that end in the last, I don't know, 50 years, like in my lifetime, say, okay? You know, we now protect, there are protected classes by law, right? Protected classes. You're not allowed to discriminate based on race or religion or gender or uh, other things, okay? Country of origin, stuff like that. You're not allowed to. It is illegal to do that word in the past you could okay we have rights now many more rights for women we have many more rights for the lgbtq community than we ever had before they're going to want to take all this away what person in a society is more vulnerable and at risk than a teenage girl who's pregnant and don't don't talk to me about the fucking zygote the 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 the, the, the stupid ass fucking thing okay because let me tell you the unborn cluster of cells that's that's there on the wall of the whatever in the uterus has more rights than anybody. More money goes to protect that blast of cells than goes to protect children or the LGBTQ community or women or people of color. That's all these asshole conservatives care about. And George Carlin said it best years and years ago. You know, they're not pro-life, they're pro-birth. Once you're born, you're fucked. 
that's the Republican Party right now. If they're not taking away a woman's right to have autonomy over her body, they are authorizing more guns to be put in the schools. Because, of course, we had to have had another school shooting this week. And then their leader, the guy who's carrying the banner for the Republican Party, is this fucking mobbed up criminal, this rapist, this racist, who went around knowingly infecting people with COVID back at a time when there were no vaccines and even the treatments were sketchy. That's what the Republican Party has become. It's not even a real thing anymore. It's just a bunch of fascist shit. People compare it to the Nazi Party with good reason. It's disgusting and it should not happen here. And the fact that the media is not focusing on this with laser focus every fucking day of the year is insane to me. Instead, Kamala Harris isn't, uh, where's Kamala? Kamala's this, Kamala's that. Madness. Madness. Okay? Where's Kamala? She's in France meeting with the fucking president of France, where Kamala is. Unbelievable. It's, It's just disgusting, these people. Disgusting. And I really do hope that something is galvanized out of this moment, that we come out of this thinking, we can do better than this as a society. We can do better than this. We need to do better than this. We're smarter than this. We can't let these infantile incel morons win. We can't. It, it, it's, our, it's our civic duty to rise up against these people and put ignorance and cruelty down. That's what we're supposed to do. Not violently, but we have to fight against it. And I know we will, and I know we're going to keep doing that, but God damn, this is a, this is a rough week. So I'm very glad to bring Reese on this week because we had a conversation, I think a week and a half ago, right after Kamala Harris came back from France. And it was great. She's great. She knows so much about policy. And it's a great interview. I really enjoyed it. You're going to enjoy it too. Stick around. We'll be right back with Reese Colbert. They settled in an unloved neighborhood of New York City, much to the dismay of the people who lived there. They took jobs shining shoes and driving cabs. To get ahead, some turned to a life of crime. When you're Ivor, you're Ivor through and through, from your first traffic whore till Ivankov kills you. But they dreamed big dreams. Living the dream in America. Guys named Vadim in America. Soviet meme in America. Pump and dump scheme in America. This Christmas, from Academy Award winning director Steven Spielberg, don't miss Semyon Mogilevich's West Side Story, where all the white guys fall for a girl named Maria. And now, back to the show. Reese Colbert, welcome to the Prevail Podcast. Hi, Greg. Thank you for having me. Now, you are, what, the president, the CEO, the founder of Black Women Views Media. Yes. Okay, so I'm, I'm, go, I'm reading the, the copy from your website here. That's good. This is, I like this. I almost want to read it in a, in a, um, a movie announcer kind of, you know, a trailer <laughs> voice. Like, Frustrated by society's desire to place Black women in factions based on their hair, TV preferences, profession, education level, relationship status, and more, 
Reese Colbert founded Black Women Views Media in 2018 as a space that centers on multifaceted Black women who refuse to be boxed in. That's good. I like that. Thank you. But tell us more. Tell us about the origin story. Uh, was there one specific moment that inspired you to do this, or was it an accumulation of things? Or take it, take us, give us a little more of an idea. Yeah, no, it, it's an accumulation because I mean, I think as I said, it stated on my website. You know, when it comes to Black women, we're very multifaceted, but we are always kind of boxed into these different things. Like if you're smart, then you don't watch Love and Marriage uh, Huntsville or you don't watch Basketball Wives, you know, or if you're a naturalista, then, you know, you're not into certain things. And so I, I just wanted to get out of this whole space where Black women have to be one particular way. I feel like I'm one of those people who just has a lot of different sides. Sometimes I'm cursing up a storm. Sometimes I'm super, you know, toned down. Sometimes I like to wear a weave. Sometimes I like to wear a fro. Sometimes I like to wear my hair straight. You know, I like to watch Basketball Wives. I like to watch uh, Greenleaf. I like to watch Joy Reid or, you know, Roland Martin Unfiltered. And so this space that I wanted to create was a space where we could just be unapologetically us and people who like to celebrate Black women and Black culture in a way that's not about tone policing or kowtowing are also welcome. Because most of my fans, most, I shouldn't say fans, I don't like the word fans. Most of the people who follow me on all of my different websites um, are, are not actually Black. I mean, I have a very diverse audience of people. And so it's not about saying it's only for Black people. It's just about saying, this is where we're celebrated in all our facets. And if you want to be a part of that celebration, then you're welcome as well. Um, first of all, it's okay to say fans, okay? You have <laughs> fans. You should have fans. I, I think you've done a lot of great work uh, it, it, in the last couple of years just trying to, you know, uh, share your views on things, which are, which are great. I mean, you seem to know so much about a lot of different things that I want to talk about. I want to, I want to pick your brain a little today okay. about what's going on in the political sphere. I especially want to talk about Kamala because I think she's, she's been under attack and oh, I yeah. cannot have it. I will not have it. And uh, so this is going to be one of the things I hope to gain from today is um, a little Kamala defense. I want people listening to this to, to understand what's happening why she's a target and how we can uh, help her yes. go on the, the you know the counteroffensive narratively. But before we get there, okay, so black voters and black women voters in particular basically elected Joe Biden and saved the country from four more years of Trump, which would have been just the collapse of democracy for sure. So Absolutely. first of all, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, second, why does the Democratic Party not appear to have gotten the message because I see lots of bending over backwards for like the Bernie Sanders wing, lots of attempts to court, you know, this, this Midwestern white voter guy that's probably never going to come back, um, but not enough focus on the backbone of the party. What do you see? I totally agree. I think part of it is because of our political chatter class, right, is mostly on social media, particularly Twitter. And so the loudest voices on social media are like the far left. Um, and they have this whole anti-identity politics, which that word in and of itself is a dog whistle. They have this whole class, not race kind of emphasis. Um, and so they're really um, setting much of the conversation. And then on the flip side, you have the conservative media, and that's putting putting it uh, nicely, calling it a conservative media, mm -hmm. who's all about the so-called white working class. And, you know, they have their evangelicals and things like that. And so Black voters have always been kind of um, beside the 
point of democracy, even though we're the backbone of it. And, you know, I think that Black voters are taken for granted. And that's why I always emphasize the importance of messaging directly to Black voters on a consistent basis. I do think that we're losing some ground with Black voters um, in terms of the Democratic Party, because increasingly Black people are being targeted by chaos agents, by disinformation, by misinformation. And it's being done in a way that's very effective because it's easy to to, to latch on to. They, they, you know, these disinformation uh, campaigns have utilized memes. And I'm not saying that Black folks by any means are, you know, uh, are just easily persuaded. There's a very deliberate campaign to really target us. And so that is getting a lot more oxygen. Those folks, the chaos agents and the disinformation people, they're getting a lot more oxygen and a lot more play on Black social media than the Democratic messaging is. So there is an imbalance there that is already happening. And then you take on top of that, the way that the mainstream media and even a large part of the Democratic Party emphasizes trying to recruit some of these white voters, the the, the mythical Obama Trump voters. They think that they could just get them back if they just do a certain number of things. And usually that means diminishing uh, rhetoric that they that they perceive as being attractive to black voters. But I want to say black voters are not only, you know, attracted to rhetoric around uh, racial equity and things like that. We are economic voters as well. We're healthcare voters. We're climate voters. And so you don't have to always come to us with the criminal justice uh, message or come to us with message about race. You can come to us with the same messages that you're coming to the white working class with, but you have to bother to do that. Yeah, this is, this is all good to know. Um, do you think, I mean, in Georgia, the, in the senator, senatorial campaigns in Georgia, it seemed like what was going on there was that Stacey Abrams went and did kind of target, you know, the right, she was doing the right things and hitting the right, pushing the right buttons to get the messaging out there and it worked. Mm-hmm. Do you see, should we be doing more of that elsewhere? Because I mean, One of the things that's really stunning to me, some of these states in the South, like Mississippi, for example, I found out, has a higher percentage of of, uh, Black residents than any other state in the country, and yet is reliably read through and through. And it feels Mm -hmm. like, you know, a good push there for voter registration and messaging and, and, and targeting Black voters and countering disinformation would really should make Mississippi turn blue, right? So what do you think we should be doing? Is there is there hope for this? I don't know. I always like to believe that there's hope, you know, I'm not, I'm not a completely doom and gloom kind of person. I'm a solutions oriented person. So I definitely think that, you know, more outreach would be necessary, but I think you can't do it in the 11th hour. You can't sit yeah. here and, and, and come, you know, six months before every election cycle and say, this is the most important election of our lives. And you guys need to get out the vote and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I think the kind of things that we're seeing from actually EPA administrator, Michael Regan, he has been on this quote unquote, journey to justice uh, campaign or or, or, um, uh, travels that he's doing. He started in Mississippi, pointing out the fact that there's uh, uh, schools down there that are not in their classrooms because of lack of running water. And so seeing the EPA administrator there who's talking about the way that the infrastructure package is going to improve that situation, seeing that kind of outreach he's going from Mississippi to Louisiana and to Houston, Texas, seeing Democrats in those spaces from a federal level to the local level, state level, local level, I think that makes a difference. People have to understand the way that their lives are directly impacted by what's happening in the government at every level. So you have to make government relevant to the people. That's step number one. 
This, the next step is to, and this can all happen in parallel, is to get people registered and to keep them registered because there's a lot of voter suppression that happens. There's a lot of voter suppression that happens before even getting uh, registered with voter ID laws and then with purging. And so that's the no another step. And then you have to you know, reach out to them and talk to people about their issues. And as I said, Black voters' issues are everybody else's issues. And so it's not as simple as going door to door, knocking on doors and getting people registered. There really has to be a buildup of credibility and trust and relevance with voters that are not necessarily as engaged um, as voters elsewhere. And, and I think that the, the South, you have a huge potential there to yeah. really activate a large group of voters who up to this point maybe are not seeing how their lives will be directly impacted. I think that this um, the infrastructure thing that Biden is doing, assuming that it works and gets through, and that's going to have a huge impact because of the broadband. I mean, more than a, the, the water the water yeah. in Mississippi is in Jackson. That's in the capital. But some of these remote rural um, counties, or I guess are, are they parishes in Mississippi? That you know, there's no broadband. So when the when yeah. the, the pandemic happened, they couldn't do online school. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. And something that up here, upstate New York, I take for granted that I'm going to have the internet's going to work. You know, my God, mm -hmm. if the Wi-Fi crashes. That that's the that's the apocalypse right there. And this, yeah. house, uh, my kids would would go, would go crazy. Um, and these are places where. You know, in Mississippi, I know I had Don, uh, Donald Ladd, who runs uh, the Mississippi Free Press on, and they mm. do these great sort of in-depth in analyses of things. But she was saying like, the KKK used to just go and close black schools in Mississippi, not yeah. just prevent people from voting, just actually close the schools down to make it so people couldn't learn and that. So I think you're right that some of the stuff that, that Biden, that the Biden administration is doing will impact people's lives. I think it mm -hmm. should, right? I mean, it stands to reason. So I'm hopeful on, on that end. I think, the, I think the broadband thing is a huge piece that maybe people aren't quite realizing the full scope of, of and potential of. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, that's where messaging comes in. Um, you have to message in a way you have to go to people with your message. You can't expect them to log on to a Zoom link or a virtual town hall or turn on CNN or, you know, sign up for your newsletter when you're going to beg them for money every five minutes. Like you have to go into their spaces. And that's why I said, I think Michael Regan is doing that. We see many of the secretaries, Secretary Pete does that, Secretary Marsha Fudge and so on and so forth. And, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris was just on the road yesterday in Columbus with Secretary Marty Walsh. And so I think that the administration understands that they have to really get out and sell this, but it's you have to have a multifaceted pitch, a multifaceted mm -hmm. way of getting your message out because not everybody's going to be at your event and not everybody's going to be on Twitter and so on and so forth. Oh, you're right about the Like you give any money, you give like $10 to a candidate. The, the emails are insane. Like, I, I don't understand who, they must know, they must do tests, but I don't want to be emailed every other day with an appeal for money because of this, that, or the other. I just don't, maybe it's my personality. I don't think that's effective. And then what do they do with the money? Like, like in Georgia, I have friends that live in Georgia. They said that they got so many postcards in the run-up to the election that, I mean, yeah. they're already voting for the good guys, right? But yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, the money, you know, money is helpful to a degree, but after a while, it's like, okay, I think people who live in these places can tell when they're just being pandered to by yeah. uh, outsiders. And maybe that makes things worse. I don't know, but let, let's stay on messaging for a minute. Cause that's, the, that's my next question. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. The, the narrative that we hear is Dems are bad with messaging. They're bad with messaging. The democratic messaging is bad. And I, you know, I, I thought about it a lot and I, I certainly it can be improved, but I don't know that it's true that it's bad. I mean, I think for one thing that it's more challenging for the messaging to be positive, right? The Democrats come in and they're, you know, 
solutions based. They're they're trying to change things for the better. So what they're selling is hope. They're selling progress. They're selling, hey, this is a thing that we're giving to you that's going to make your life better and blah, blah, blah. But it's also hypothetical and kind of easy. It's easy to combat that with, well, nothing ever gets done. You know, the sort of negative Nelly kind of kind of thing. Whereas on the other side, the GOP, it's all about hatred and fear. It's very mm-hmm. easy to sell hatred and fear, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's an easy message. The, the people do, who are good at it are, are the, literally the dumbest people in Congress are the best at messaging for yeah. hatred and fear. Right. So but when I see what the politicians are tweeting out and some of the statements, I mean, they are on message. I think a lot of the time you look at, you know, Klobuchar and Pelosi, these guys are all certainly there's some sort of meeting where they're trying to get messaging out. So is it that the Democrats aren't on message or is it that the media is like, we don't care about this message. We just want to focus on the hatred and the fear. What do you think? I think it's a both. I don't think that the Democrats are good at messaging. I think they have some good messages some of the time, but what Democrats fail to do is they fail to be relentless about Mm -hmm. their messaging. They fail to be consistent with their messaging. And they also have differing messaging because you have different factions. The Democrat is a big tent party, right? And so you have some people that are like, this is not good enough. This is, you know, we still have way more to do. This is far, this is far insufficient. And then you have people who are like, yeah, this is great. This is unprecedented. And so you have the same constituents getting differing messages, even from within the party. I think that Democrats have to understand how much they're outgunned, not just by the opposite party, but by all of these different, you know, areas. You have the media, you have the opposite party, but you have these um, very sophisticated online campaigns that are relentlessly attacking the Democratic Party. And so putting out a tweet here and there saying, oh, we've done this great thing is not adequate going on MSNBC and CNN or, you know, the Sunday news shows is not adequate. You have to be very relentless with your message. And I think a positive message does work. Um, People want to know, you know, for instance, they have this child credit, this child credit. And a lot of people still don't necessarily know that it's the Democrats that gave them that money, that 100% of the Republicans voted against that. They don't know that that could be something that's on the chopping block in 2020 midterms or 2022 midterms, I'm sorry. You know, when Donald Trump, and I don't give Donald Trump credit for anything as a person, but when he did the boxes, remember there was this big controversy about him putting a letter in the boxes, um, the food bank boxes saying that it's from the Trump administration. That's Mm -hmm. marketing. That's messaging. When he signed that she wanted to sign the checks personally, that's messaging. You know, he took credit for things. He took credit for things he didn't do, but he took credit and Democrats do not do that enough. And they don't do it in a way that is not that that's impactful. You know, they put out fact sheets, they put out tweets and they might have, you know, they might put an emoji in there. But people need a headline. They need an image. They need something that's very easy to latch onto that they can take and run with. And Democrats want to give you a whole book of all of these things that we've done. And nobody's going to read all that. And I shouldn't say nobody, but most people are not taking time out to read the whitehouse.gov fact sheets. They're just not doing it. So they have to figure out a way to make their message clear, concise, and relentless for the voters. That's where I think they are sadly, sadly uh, inadequate at. Good answer. Good answer. Thank you. Um, So to your point, Biden comes in, okay, Trump has basically sabotaged the pandemic response, Mm -hmm. either for what he perceives as being political gain or God knows what, 
what we're going to find out years from now about which cronies made money from this thing. I don't even want to get into that piece of it. Mm. But basically, he wasn't doing anything. And the vaccine was um, dur- during the Trump term that we came out with the vaccine. But he also sucked at getting the vaccine to the people. If there's yeah. one thing Democrats are good at, it's that kind of shit, right? We have this yeah. thing, oh, yeah. we got to get it to the... So I knew going in, hey, Biden's going to come in and the vaccine is going to get put out there and everybody's going to be vaccinated. Well, yes and no. Yes, the vaccine has went out there, went out there much more quickly than we thought, but not everybody has gotten the vaccine. So mm-hmm. the, the, the message should be, hey, the last guy tried to kill you. Biden has come in and literally saved you by giving you this life-saving thing, this potentially life-saving thing. And nobody, it seems like people have just forgotten about this entirely. And maybe that's partly because of the, I guess we can call it vaccine hesitancy if we want to use that horrible euphemism. But like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the Republicans have politicized a plague, basically, in order yeah. to score political points. So, yeah, if we can't message, hi, I'm Joe Biden and I literally saved your life. I mean, to a degree, <laughs> what can we message? I mean, that's the message, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you know, another unfortunate part about our politics is that competency is rarely rewarded it becomes yeah. kind of like the 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 built into the baked into the cake. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, duh, you're supposed to save us. So you you, you want a cookie, you know? Um, and I think that's part of, you know, how Trump was much better at taking credit for things that like, what are you supposed to do? That? What are we talking about? You know? Um, and, and I think that the administration has tried to take credit and I think they deserve credit, but you're also in a very hostile environment for vaccines, for mandates, for, for still doing the hard work of governing and telling people things that they don't want to hear. And so the appetite for actually beating COVID-19 is, has fallen drastically. Now the appetite is moving on, you yeah. know, and there's a big yeah. difference between moving on and beating it. And I don't know if we're going to beat it anymore. I think right now what's going to happen is people are going to make the calculation that we're just going to move on. You've had even democratic mayors, democratic governors, who's like, look, I can't, continue to push lockdowns or certain mandates this is what we're gonna have to do get vaccinated or or good luck you know best of luck to you so i think that is really harming the administration is in the democrats in general is that they're the party of governance they're the party of of science and doing things responsibly and people just don't want to hear that anymore yeah that's also a way i would guess that the chaos agents try to um splinter uh you know, the, the African-American community as a block, because I think that mm-hmm. there's a lot, certainly with, with you know, uh, Kyrie Irving being the most famous, you know, anti-vax person in the world isn't helpful, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, and he has his reasons and fine. I, I, I fear that too. I fear that, that, that that's something that the, you know, the Russians are good at this. They take issues mm-hmm. that, are, that already exist, that they perceive as wedge issues, and then they create disinformation campaigns around the wedge issues. And they, you know, they try to blow it up or amplify whatever it is that's that's driving people apart. So uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it's so complicated at this point. I I just pray that uh, you know everybody gets their booster that's going to get the booster and 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 I'm boosted. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you get? I don't think I, I, I did. Think I think it's this week we can get them here. So um, yeah. I have to make an appointment. And uh, but but to your point, I mean, I, I I highlighted this back in December of 2020. I saw the disinformation campaign targeting black people, I was like, okay, this is going to be an issue. And there were a lot of black 
um, you know, uh, virologists and epidemiologists and leaders on the COVID pandemic, and they were emphasizing equity, vaccine equity, which is obviously a legitimate point and, and accessibility. But I was like, yes, we have to address the fact that there are uh, inequities in how people are accessing it, but we have to address this vaccine hesitancy. And, you know, a lot of people kind of pushed back on that, like, oh, that's, you know, that's blaming Black people. And I'm like, no, it's not blaming Black people. It's acknowledging this very um, concerted effort to divide us in this way. And so when I hear Kyrie Irving, and there are a lot of people, people I'm fans of, Teddy Riley, people like that, who are regurgitating this just blatant disinformation because they've been targeted. It's like mission accomplished. That's what they wanted. And, And that's why we see it's increasingly difficult outside of mandates to get people vaccinated. So it's it's sad, but it's the same tactics they used um, in the political spectrum in terms of de- suppressing the Black vote and in terms of turning people against Vice President Kamala Harris by spreading disinformation against her records. And so we're seeing the same tactics being deployed in different ways yeah. over and over again. And until we beat those tactics, we're going to continue to be um, you know, uh, weaker as a nation. New York State is trying to push back on some of it, at least during the... I, I'm talking about just the Kyrie bracket because I, when I watch the Knicks games, they have commercials on to go get the vaccine. And the the doctor that they've chosen to be the talking head for this is African-American, tall, mm-hmm. handsome. You know, he looks mm-hmm. like he could be like, all right, I'm just going to go play basketball. You know, so they, yeah. they're clearly, they, they know they're trying to hit that audience, which every time I'm like, good, this is, this is good. And most of the players in the NBA are also, you know, good with this stuff, thank, thankfully. Um, you know, the NFL, forget it. That That's just this whole Aaron Rodgers business. Is, <laughs> um, yeah. So before we talk about what one question before we get to Kamala. Okay. So when she dropped out, it was, it was uh, in December of, of 2019, she was running and she dropped out sort of right before that debate. Mm-hmm. And I found out about it because I, I was, uh, I was uh, uh, a supporter of hers early on. And I got about 8,000 texts and, and direct messages like what happened? Like it was my fault that this, you know, that this has come to pass. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I was really upset. I was like, God, damn, what, what's going on with, you know, this sucks. And I took like a day to grieve. And then I immediately was like, okay, it's Biden. It's Biden time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like most Kamala people had the same exact response where they're like, okay, they're almost to the point where I, I thought that they had some sort of, I don't know if they really did, but I thought they had some kind of deal in place at that time. Mm. Um, so, and as we were going into the election, it's like, okay, obviously I'm going to vote for Biden, no matter who his vice president is. When he, when he picked Kamala, all the more reason. But I thought heading in, he's a guy, he's old, he's kind of past his prime, he's tried to run before, he's kind of, you know, he's a nice guy, but he's kind of uninspiring. And But, you know, best case, he'll go in there and he'll be sort of the figurehead, but there'll be this team of really super competent people running everything it'll be like a a democratic party all-star team running stuff behind the scenes and fixing all the mess that trump has made Mm -hmm. um instead what what seems to have happened is he's whiffed on a couple of these picks especially i I don't i'm not a big i don't know where you stand on the merrick garland thing we don't need to get into that i'm not a fan of Mm -hmm. it and the the slowness there i think blinken is eh. um but i've been so uh, impressed with Biden himself. I feel like he's just, he's been wonderful, like way, way over above expectation uh, from, from where I sit. I just, I don't know what I expected, but he's been, I think, not only as a person and as a, you know, kind of the um, empathic leader that we need, but also just trying to get stuff done and not, I think he's old enough now that he just has no fucks left. And he's just, I'm going <laughs> to, we're, we're leaving Afghanistan. Fuck you. You know, whatever. Yeah. 
And um, what do you think? What, what, where were you when, 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 uh, when you started thinking about Biden and then how has it changed and what do you think now? Um, I, um, was never a really big Biden fan. I, when she dropped out, I wasn't like, okay, Biden. I was like, uh, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. <laughs> um, and uh, I liked Pete. I actually did like yeah, Pete. I, like Pete I, I grew, I grew to like Pete a lot, but I was pretty agnostic in terms of, I didn't want it to be Bernie. You know, I yeah, was not yeah. going to support him. Um, that would have been the only way I would have probably been super like, okay, I'm going to make sure I vote for Biden in the primaries. Um, but by the time it came to me, it didn't matter. You know, yeah. everybody was out. So, uh, but I mean, I think in many ways, he's what I expected him to be. But then in other ways, I think he has exceeded my expectations. I like that he does have no Fs to give. Like, I like the fact that he's like the buck stops with me. I like the fact that he doesn't shirk away from responsibility. When they ask him, do you take responsibility? He's like, I'm the president. I take responsibility. And I really, really like that about him. Yeah. Um, and uh, I especially like what he did yesterday, which was um, transfer or he transferred his presidential powers to Vice President Kamala Harris. He didn't have to do that. And I think that was his way of, you know, a shot across the bow of saying, this is my successor, deal with it. Um, so that exceeded my expectations. So and in many ways, I think that Joe Biden has been a great president. You know, I, I think he's, he, as far as his cabinet officials, I don't have any beef with any of them. I mean, Merrick Garland, you know, I mean, he wasn't going to come in there and and, and really shake stuff up too much. I never had any expectations of Trump being indicted or anything like that. So I, I, it's, for me, it's like, you know, it's fine. Yeah, we haven't we haven't even talked about Ka Kamala was president for all those hours. And, and you know, yes. she did great during the time that she was president. I, I, I the was sky did not fall. Imagine that. <laughs> we, li we live to tell the tale. All right, I want to talk about Kamala after the break. We'll be right back with Reese Colbert. Do you have anxiety or do you not have anxiety, but you're just pretty sure that this time you're really dying of that heart attack and you're going crazy and there's no one that can help you and you're the only one that feels that way? Well, congratulations. That's anxiety. But listen, you're not alone and you won't feel alone if you listen to my new podcast, Anxiety Bites. I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm your host. And in my other life, I'm a comedian and a TV writer, but in my real life, I'm just a person who's had anxiety disorders for decades, but I have a lot of recovery and I think a lot of great perspective. For example, I tell myself, I seriously have anxiety, but I don't have to take my anxiety so seriously. Join me for weekly conversations that cut through the crap as I talk to esteemed experts in the field of mental health and other artists who have anxiety. Season one of Anxiety Bites premieres Wednesday, October 6th. Subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This episode of Prevail is brought to you by Tales.com. That's tales as in stories and not as in jacket and tie. Tales.com is the easiest way to record your family memories. If you're anything like me, the thoughts probably crossed your mind that you should have your mom or dad, or both, write down their life stories. But here's the problem. Most people have no clue where to start, and we never get around to doing it. That's why we're partnering with Tales.com, to give families like yours a super easy way to capture your family's most important memories. Here's how it works. This is the really cool part. Tales has professional interviewers who interview your loved one over the phone, over Zoom, just like we do here on the podcast, over Zoom, and record their stories. Then Tales delivers a professionally produced podcast episode Hosted on a private webpage that your family will cherish forever. Now we're heading into the holiday season. 
Mom and dad, it's always impossible to find something for them, right? This is the perfect, unique, meaningful gift for a loved one that instantly becomes family heirloom. Get started right away. No shipping necessary at Tails.com. And for listeners of Prevail, that's you, Tails is offering $20 off your first purchase. Just enter promo code PREVAIL at checkout at Tails.com. That's T-A-L-E-S.com with promo code PREVAIL for $20 off your first purchase. Check it out today. Tails.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Reese Culver. <laughs> That's always funny because, yeah, it's, there, is, there is no break. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about Kamala now. Uh, first, why did you support her initially when she began her run? When did you come on board with her? Because you were pretty early on, too, as I recall. Oh, yeah, I was day one. Day one, yeah. Vice President Kamala Harris supporter. I'd always um, been especially interested in her because of the issues that she really took the lead on. She was very passionate and, and really a trailblazer in terms of the Black maternal mortality disparity crisis. And that was something nobody else was really talking about, um, but she made a signature issue. And so there were things about her where I was like, here's a Black woman, she's incredibly accomplished, she has the credentials, and she's actually tuned in to issues that matter to me as a Black woman. So it was a no-brainer when she uh, announced her candidacy um, for the president. And um, I think what made me go even harder for her was just to see uh, immediately, it was interesting, the first day that she announced her her presidential campaign, I was on Instagram and I started seeing these, um, this new hashtag I'd never seen before. And it said, um, tangibles 2020. And I said, okay, well, what is this about? And I clicked on it and it was, um, about reparations, basically. It was a reparation, pro-reparations hashtag, but every single post was anti-Kamala. And I was like, okay, well, if this is a 2020 campaign issue, why are all the why are all the posts attacking this one particular person? And so I started to monitor the way that these things were happening. And I realized before any of the data came out, there is a concerted effort to um, d- to actually destroy her, her particular yes. candidacy. And she wasn't polling number one, you know what I'm saying? It was always Joe Biden who was the, the leading polling person. And then you had other people who kind of came in twos, threes, fours, and fives. And so that made me go even harder because I noticed, I recognized the disinformation campaign against her. And so, and I noticed the erasure from the media. She started off with a lot of great fanfare. And then the media, like they always do, they kind of get bored with somebody mm-hmm. who's competent and somebody who's just doing the work. And so that made me like be like, okay, y'all are not going to sit up there and erase her. You're not going to attack her. You're not going to lie on her. And, you know, I didn't have a big platform at the time. I mean, my platform is still a, a, a decent size. It's not a huge platform. But I was like, I'm going to use my voice to really go hard for her because I don't see anybody else really doing it, you know? And I'm like, this is a historic campaign we're watching. I mean, there's been Shirley Chisholm, there's been Kara Mosey Braun, that's it. And then now there's Kamala. So how is this not a big deal to everybody, you know? And she can win. And I knew she could win. She didn't win the presidency, but she did win the vice presidency. So I'll take that for her first time out. I'll take it too, because it means she it means she's the heir apparent. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, you yeah. mentioned the media. Okay, so mm-hmm. the media seems determined to attack her. Uh, that meaning that they minimize the victories and they maximize or play up her foibles. If she ever if she yes. slips on a, a, a on a wet leaf or something, you'd mm-hmm. so now I think she's had a pretty good couple of weeks. 
right? A couple of weeks that, as you said, included her being acting president for a few hours. Yeah. So tell the listeners, let, let's let's burst through the gaslighting bullshit. Tell everybody the truth about the job she's been doing. Well, I think she's been doing an amazing job. I mean, I, I wrote an article for the Grio, um, pushing back on this whole invisible narrative. And they're they're saying they alternate between saying she's been sidelined and, or she's invisible. And I point out that she's done over 300 events. Um, she's done, uh, she's had over a hundred, almost 200 private meetings with President Biden and, and the cabin cabinet. Um, and uh, she's been in front of the press hundreds of times. And so this whole notion that she's invisible is absurd. She just got back from France. She was meeting with the president of France. Vice, Vice President Pence did not have bilateral meetings with the head of state um, when he was uh, vice president, certainly not months into his tenure. Um, he did have, he was in the, in a room with Macron, uh, but that was to introduce president uh, at the time, Trump. <laughs> so he was not, he was not giving, uh, he was not given the responsibilities and even the stature that vice president Kamala Harris has gotten yesterday, or I was, um, Friday, she was meeting with um, the Prime Minister of Canada. Actually, it was Thursday. Thursday, she was meeting with the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. She met with, again, virtually the President of Mexico. So you had somebody who's met with over 16 world leaders, the head of states. And that's a big deal because this is not something that we typically see a vice president do, particularly when you have the Secretary of State. And then President Biden has a ton. He's, I mean, he's the foreign policy guy, right? So he doesn't have to outsource his, you know, his, his, his foreign policy to vice president Kamala Harris. And actually that was his strong suit. A big reason why he was brought on to be Obama's vice president was because he had the foreign policy chops. And so I, I think you can't under, under, you can't overstate the, the significance of her being in these rooms with these world leaders and they treat her as a peer. They're not like, Oh, okay. You're sending, you know, the second string to meet with me. They're very much I'm pleased to be meeting with Vice President Kamala Harris. Then you had the infrastructure pack package that just passed. She was instrumental in that. Vice, I mean, President Joe Biden gave her credit. Now, President right. Joe Biden said that she had nothing to do with it. Everybody would be running with that. Oh, President Biden said that Kamala was missing in action, <laughs> but because he said that she was instrumental in it, working the phone lines and things of that nature, then people all of a sudden want to act like he didn't say that or like she's not really a part of it. But one big area, and that was broadband infrastructure. There was billions of dollars for broadband infrastructure. That's a Kamala Harris portfolio item. She's scheduled her National Space Council meeting. She's been on the forefront in terms of this COVID equity, the COVID um, racial and ethnic disparities task force was Kamala's brainchild in the Senate. That is something that President Biden brought into his administration. That was her idea. Um, and so there are so many things that we could point to that she's done. Um, as I said about going to um, the base frequently, she's done that. She's been to Black colleges. She's been to Black churches. And this isn't to ask for people's votes. So the, the Black churches thing, yeah, that was to ask people's votes. But even outside of that, she's been to Black churches. She's done a lot of Black outreach. She's done a lot of outreach across the country to different constituencies. Um, she's really, really been tending to the base and the activist organizations that really power the Democratic Party in these election cycles. And so I think there's so much that you can talk about that, you know, she's done well. But we have to just acknowledge the fact that she's competent. That in and of itself is a is yeah. a is a is a change from Mike Pence. Remember, he was over the COVID response. 
the same COVID response that where the administration was interfering with CDC guidance about public health measures, uh, didn't want to send out masks to the public, said don't wear a mask and things like that. That was Pence who was over that. So we have to just acknowledge the, the drastic difference when the controversy is that, you know, she said the plan. She said the, and that's that's the big controversy of the day. Or she she made a statement that people didn't like. There's no substantive policy beef that anybody has with Vice President Kamala Harris. It's all this petty, nitpicky crap that they want to manufacture because that's more entertaining for people than the fact that she's doing the job that she's supposed to do. Yeah, CNN just wrote that that hit piece on her, basically. That oh, yeah. she's there's uh people in the camp are complaining about that. It's just squawky bullshit. It's just, what's, where's the news value in that? There is no news. And it reminds me actually of her presidential campaign. You know, Mm -hmm. people try to make it seem like her campaign just self-imploded. No, I mean, every single week they were writing multiple obituaries of her campaign. And every week it just became like a running encyclopedic tally of different, uh, you know, grievances people had. I mean, the CNN article was basically a 10-month um, chronicle of everything people had ever said negative about her. You know, right. this isn't news. This isn't like, oh, this week she did X, Y, and Z. Not, actually, there was almost no news there was actually no news about France in there. So this was this wasn't even an article about something that was presently happening. It was just a it was just a recycling of all of the hit pieces that have come before it. And then you just got more people on record. And, and that's why it's like, well, when you see 36 people on record, yeah, because you've taken 10 other reports and you've added them into this article. So it's it's just getting ridiculous. But I mean, that's what we're dealing with. You know, the one good thing about it is that. As much as it's annoying, most people are not really super focused on it. I mean, most people are focused on Thanksgiving and, you know, gas prices and COVID, you know, how it relates to their family. They're not really worried about who is uh, up or down in this political horse race coverage that the media focuses on. Horse race all the time. I mean, we're not anywhere near an election yet. And it's a horse. It's like, I don't care about Biden's poll numbers right this minute. What what does it matter? Yeah. There's no election coming. And yeah. uh Remember they have that there's I think they hashtag it sometimes the where's Kamala thing as if she's like an absent and stuff like they try to perpetuate this narrative, this false narrative that she's just Mm -hmm. not doing anything. And I think you're right about Joe. You know, one of the nice things about him in general as a person is that he does give credit. He's not an egomaniac. Yeah. You know, like Lord knows, like Trump is. But Biden is a guy who who goes out of his way to credit people if they've done something and i think he's really gone out of his way to credit her you know Mm -hmm. not just for for the infrastructure but a lot in the past and i and taking her ideas and setting them into motion is also a credit to her too absolutely in in a very real way it's not you know hey i think this is a good idea we're going to go with that biden is not uh, the kind of guy who's like no 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 i said this we have to do it this way he's flexible he's adaptable um you know, he's not the football coach that says, well, we're, we're going to run the football because we've always run the football. If, he, uh, if we have a good quarterback, we're going to throw it a little bit. You know, that's yeah. fine. That's, this is what we're going to do now. And I forgot to mention back when we were talking about the, uh, the primary, the two candidates that Russia seemed to fear the most in terms of the ones that w- they were attacked the most mm-hmm. were Biden and Harris. Nobody yeah. else came close. They clearly wanted Sanders. That was the, mm-hmm. He was their guy. Yeah, And uh, he was their guy in, in 16. And the fact that he knew this and ran anyway is, is a complete indictment of him as a patriot. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to go on an anti-Bernie Sanders. We'll be here, I, we'll be here all day. Um, but uh, 
I, so when when those two hooked up, I was like, this is terrific for me because I've you know my 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 lane is the Trump Russia stuff. So I'm like, good. Anybody yeah. that Putin hates this much, that's who I want in charge. Period. Absolutely. I don't want any more capitulation to these to these people. And uh, oh my god! And the Mike Pence thing. Yeah, you're right. The guy is a. I don't think he's authorized to do anything. I think if he if he has to blow his nose, he has to ask Trump for permission. <laughs> and um, you know, in, in remember the debate, he was he was trying to argue that because she said something like, "Well, you're in charge of the COVID response, and these people are dead." And he was trying to talk about like some kind of weird flu from the last season. And well, mm-hmm. if the flu was bad, it would have killed more people. And it's like. Yeah, dude, it isn't though, is it? You yeah. Know? Nothing made sense, but you could tell he was he was just playing debate in his brain, but not mm-hmm. totally disconnected from reality. So um, but back to the back to the disinformation stuff. The right wingers hate her. They despise yeah. Kamala Harris. And by mm-hmm. right wing, I mean the 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 GOP conservatives and the Russians, because it's all, you know, it's all the same people. So yeah. when I was researching my Brett Kavanaugh series. I read some blog posts written fairly recently by um, his high school buddy, Mark Judge. Um, I do not recommend reading them. I I wouldn't go there. But Mm -hmm. um, and he in those blog posts, you could tell he was sort of workshopping ideas about how he could hit at her. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so the people that do this for a living, these like operatives, they're they're you know, they're sharpening their knives. They're coming for her. And, and they have been for a while and they're testing things. They're mm-hmm. test, they're crafting new narratives. They're testing them to see which ones stick. But why do they hate her so much? Is it is it because she made mincemeat of Barr and Sessions and Kavanaugh? Or is it just racism and misogyny? What do you think? It's just racism and misogyny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter what she did. She may have, even if she never interacted with anybody that they are, that they worship it would have been an issue because she's black. She's black. She's a woman. She, her, her entire background is something that is a threat to the status quo. I mean, think about all the roles that she's been in every single role, every role she's been in. She was the first of her kind to be in that role from being yeah. district attorney of San Francisco, the first woman that hadn't even been a woman district attorney. Then she's the first black woman, uh, black person and person of Asian descent. Same thing with district, uh, with the attorney general. There had never been a woman attorney general in California before she was also never a black person, a person of Asian descent. There had never been a black senator in California um, as they've had woman senators and there's never been a, a senator of Asian descent. And then, you know, when you get to the vice presidency, duh, there's never been a black person as a vice president, never been a woman as the vice president or person of Asian descent. And so every single step that she takes shows people that it doesn't have to look like the white male standard that they want to put out there. It could be a black woman. It could be a woman of color, um, a black person, you know, could just be a woman. Um, because like I said, even that has been significant in her roles. And so that, that in and of itself is, is, is a threat. I mean, look at, you know, the debates that we have that are just bullshit debates, CRT, it's not even a thing in K through 12, but just the existence of it out there in the universe somewhere. They're like, ah, it's the boogeyman. And as the dog whistle and, you know, it's really a pretext for things that they really want to say. But the whole point is that they don't want any acknowledgement of certain kind of people and certain kind of history at all, at yeah. all, point blank period. And so her existence as a person in power 
is a threat to them. And so they have to find ways to diminish it. And it's not just Republicans. It's also Democrats. You have a lot of Democrats, particularly the far left, that yeah. want to find ways to diminish her. Then you have the media class, which wants to diminish her because she doesn't kiss their ass. Yeah. Yeah. And she hasn't cultivated that kind of relationship, that 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 schmoozing relationship with the national political class because she was in California. Then she's only been in D.C. for several. I mean, it's now her fifth or sixth year in D.C., but she never really cultivated that D.C. national politics media um, following because that's not her style. You know, she's she's not a super transactional person. She's not a person who's really going to reach out to people just to kiss a little ass. She could stand to do that. She probably could. And she probably will get a lot further with the media. She shouldn't have to do it. But that may be something that she has to calibrate, recalibrate or her team has to in order to get her a little bit farther. But so you have all of these different factions that are threatened by her for various reasons. But the number one reason that unites them all is that she is the successor to President Joe Biden, barring a really extraordinary event. And they're trying to make that extraordinary event happen by trying to diminish her as vice president. That's what this invisible crap is about. She's not really there. She's not really a part of it. Her her her, her position doesn't count. Now all of a sudden the vice presidency doesn't count, but you want the vice president to fix everything, but the vice president don't really count for anything. It, the, it, the math does not math in their logic. But it doesn't have to because all they have to do is convince this group over here of that, that group over there of that, that group over there of that. And that's how you weaken her. But I don't think that they're going to be able to weaken her the way that they want to. We've seen that she's remarkably resilient in terms of, you know, all of the things that they've thrown at her. It becomes old news after a while, like all the attacks they did on her before she became the vice president. It was like, oh, this is old shit. You know what I'm saying? So by the time she was vice president, it had no punch because they'd been saying it for years. And so by the time the the the, the next nomination cycle comes up, I don't I I think a lot of it is going to fall flat as long as she continues to be competent and if she can just hone her messaging, hone her her outreach better, her profile better, I think she's going to be unstoppable and that's what people are deathly afraid of. Well, she's also competent. You know, she's really smart, she's competent. Yeah. She she doesn't back down from people. I mean, she's a prosecutor like that kind of that kind of um, personality type, just mm-hmm. the prosecute, you know, head on, no bullshit. That terrifies people who, because they, they should be afraid of her, you know, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Um, I have to say to your point about kissing the ass of the, of the uh, DC reporters as a group of people, I, I can't imagine who I would, a group of, of, of professional people I would want to hang out with less than the beltway <laughs> press i mean they just yeah. right i mean just like just this incestuous group of of you know I- incapable of seeing t- two feet in front i think they've just swam in the same water for so long they don't realize it's brackish now you know mm-hmm. it's just it's it's poison and uh i don't know so maybe she just doesn't want to hang out with these people because they're awful i'm just gonna throw that out there i don't i don't i don't i don't you know doubt her on that uh, for any stretch of the imagination. Okay, so I want to play a little game. You up for a little okay. game? Yeah, okay. sure. I'm going to give you a right-wing anti-Kamala talking point. Oh, and, you de- and you debunk it. Oh, you know I'll do that. I know. <laughs> okay, you ready? Yes, ready. Okay, okay, number one. Kamala is a cop. <laughs> 
Well, actually she wasn't. She was a district attorney. She was an attorney general. She's a person who got justice for victims. You know, so much of our criminal justice narratives is around the, the, the perpetrators of the crime. And we don't actually talk about the victims. I mean, the Kyle Rittenhouse is a perfect example of that. So much of the emphasis was on Kyle Rittenhouse who murdered two people. He was acquitted, but let make no mistake about it. He killed two people. And you almost never even heard the names of the people who died. I mean, they're not household names in the same way that Kyle Rittenhouse was. And so this whole notion that she was a cop is just factually incorrect, but we need prosecutors that are actually going to go after the people who are guilty and make sure that they don't put people who are innocent behind bars. And that's what she did. In addition to being the prosecutor, she actually had so many criminal justice reforms that tried to make the system more fair for everybody involved. So She's a cop, no. But is she a, a, a purveyor of justice? Absolutely. I also, I also feel like you know, since Trump is a criminal, is is someone being a cop really a bad thing? I don't know. Okay, yeah. number two, Kamala is a radical communist, socialist, whatever that 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 line of thinking, whatever boogie <laughs> boogie man word you want to use. Yeah, I mean that is absurd. Number one, I mean if you want to say that universal health care is radical then that's then she might be radical. But the fact of the matter is Vice President Kamala Harris has pushed economic solutions that are about lifting people out of poverty, that are about giving people who are working uh, people, the working class, the middle class, a leg up. Wages have been stagnant. And so that's why she proposed things like the LIFT Act, which was about giving people monthly tax credits. Now we see that with the child credits that are being uh, dispersed on a monthly basis. That was something that Kamala Harris really emphasize the importance of getting people checks on a monthly basis. And so this whole notion that she wants a government takeover of things is patently false. I mean, you can look throughout her record. She's actually formed so many private public partnerships um, when it came to, for instance, uh, defense support for, for immigrants in California, for undocumented minors or unaccompanied minors, sorry. She helped form private and public partnerships to get them free legal aid. Or when you want to talk about her fight around getting school kids in schools, she formed private and public partnerships with that with her back on track program, which was about getting people um, who were facing up to 20 years of jail for nonviolent drug offenses, like having two grams of crack or smoking weed. She formed private public partnerships when she went into her Rolodex and got people jobs. And so this whole notion that she's anti the private sector, anti-capitalism is just patently false. But what she is pro is she's pro a government government that works for the American people and works for the people who power it, not just for the elite and the wealthy. Very good. Okay. Kamala is inauthentic. She's fake. She's so real, actually, <laughs> that, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's, 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 that is one of the things like on a personal level. Um, it just, it irks my soul that people say that because she is incredibly real. She's very authentic. Um, but I think what it is, is that she is guarded. She is guarded and she's justifiably guarded. And I think what she wants is she wants her work to speak for itself. She wants her competence to be the story. She's not a person who is, a, she's not a celebrity uh, politician. You know what I'm saying? She doesn't give people the tabloidy, gossipy stuff that they're looking for. She gives them policy. She gives them competence. And that is why people want to call her, I think, inauthentic, because she's not sitting up there schmoozing and she's not sitting up there giving people that fodder 
that they're looking for. But she's completely authentic. I mean, if you look at the things that were being written about her in terms of what she prioritized back in 2004, before she was even elected to be the, the San Francisco DA, and you look at what she's still working on to this day, there's a straight line of consistency there. I don't know if you can find a politician that doesn't have to explain, oh, well, I've evolved on this or I've evolved on that on major issues. I mean, you have people who've evolved on, on gay rights. You have people that have evolved on a number of things, but Vice President Kamala Harris was marrying uh, same-sex couples back in 2004. So she's been consistent in her convictions. And that's what is important. I want somebody who's who's consistent in their convictions and who works towards solutions for the issues that we have on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think people, you know, sometimes she'll be on the stage and she'll she'll laugh at something that people were like, she's laughing too much at this joke that isn't as funny. And I think that's what they mean. But it's so... It, it's hard to go up on stage in, in front of all those people if you're not, you know, if you're not a rock star or an entertainer, yeah. it's weird. I mean, that's a problem that Hillary had too. Hillary's not good at, in that forum. She's she's gotten better with it as she, you know, as she got more experience, but mm -hmm. she's not a natural born, let's rile the crowd up kind of person, which yeah. is fine. Why do we yeah. need our president or vice president to be <laughs> a circus barker? You know, well, let, me, let me tell you, let me tell you something about the lap. Cause I just thought of, this is a personal story. I might break okay. some news here. So, oh, okay, good. Uh, um, you know, people talk about, you want to say she laughs at stuff that, you know, maybe isn't that funny. So we, vice president Kamala Harris and I have something in common. And this is not an endorsement. I'm not trying to say that she's endorsed anything, but we both love Be Bobby Flay, the show. And we've talked about this before. And um, my favorite part of Be Bobby Flay is the corny jokes at the end of Be Bobby Flay that he makes. Oh, uh, you know, whatever. He's a victory runoff thing. They're the corny dad jokes. And I laugh like they are the funniest thing ever. And I know Vice President Kamala Harris is the same way, you know? So it's like, there are things that you might not expect a person to think are that funny. And it's it's funny. Sometimes you just, you like corny stuff or whatever. And there are times where she might laugh at things. And it's a, it's a little bit of like a diff, trying to diffuse a situation. It's not like, it's not like, um, ha ha ha, this is so funny right, thing. It's just right. kind of like a well, let me diffuse the moment and break the moment thing. But I think that she does have a great sense of humor. You know, she doesn't take everything so seriously. She loves to laugh. She has a great laugh. But, you know, I think there's a difference between laughing to diffuse the situation and laughing because something is just funny. And I think people have a problem regardless of the situation. Just her laughing irks people because they're just hateful. <laughs> they need more joy in their life. But I can't, I can't fault her from trying to diffuse a situation because if she's aggressive or if she has a demeanor that people take to be angry, look at how they made uh, First Lady Michelle Obama into being this angry black woman. I mean, she was out there, you know, doing Easter egg rolls and, and shooting hoops with, Le with LeBron, you know, and she was, she was like, completely the opposite, you know, car karaoke with James Corden and, and dancing with Ellen. And they still tried to make her out to be the angry black woman. And so she has that needle to thread, but she also just likes to laugh. And that's not a crime. It's not a crime that a person likes to laugh. No, I think especially everything is so, <laughs> there's so many bad things going on right now. If we don't find the humor, you know, uh, 
it, it, it's just it gets us through the day gets me yeah. through the day and there's yeah. so much to be there's so much that is funny in the preposterousness of the situation that we now find ourselves in in the united states in uh december of uh 2021 yeah so absolutely. Um, okay what do you think like oh, oh wait one more one more of these and then I'll, I'll have to follow up okay uh kamala is not a citizen <laughs> Oh my goodness. You don't you even know, need to answer that. It's <laughs> just the con it's in the constitution. So if you don't know your history, I, I can't help you out with that. But yes. This is this is what's amazing. Okay, so I, I, I had forgotten about that. And I was doing trying to figure out what to ask you to play this game. And I looked back and I was like, holy shit, the guy who wrote that for Newsweek, the law mm -hmm. professor, is the same guy that John Eastman who wrote the Trump memo to the overturned election thing oh okay i didn't realize that i totally yeah. i don't know why nobody's mentioned this at least in anything i've read that it's the same guy we have yeah. one batshit guy that's dreaming up all this course trump has to bring him in you know and uh anyway yeah obviously she's a citizen we're good it's all good yeah oh yeah <laughs> um what do you think's going to happen with biden and running again because when i first you know, again, back before all of this, I figured, okay, he's going to run, he's going to run, do a term, hand over the baton, and that's going to be it. Now, though, I don't know. I I wonder if he's, as long as everything's humming along, he could run again and win. Because mm -hmm. if you're a popular incumbent, historically, you don't, you don't really ever lose, right? Yeah. Would. Oh, yeah. I, they'll, they'll try to make him lose, but he could do something like he could run again, win, serve for a year and then be like, okay, I'm, I'm good. Bye. And then Kamala could take over, just be president for three years and then go into the election of, uh, what is that? 28. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God. As already having been in the job for three years. So she's be a known commodity. And there's some, I think there's some strategically, it would be cool to do that. And that, I think it's also something that he would do. Oh yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What do you, what do you think is going to happen? I don't like I, asking crystal ball questions, but no, I, I I believe he's running again. I have no reason to believe that he's not going to run. He's never uh, pledged to be a one-term president. Right. That would be stupid to do that anyway, because then you're sitting duck and you have no no real leverage. Um, so I expect that he's running. I think when he saddled her with uh, the the migrant crisis, uh, that I was like, okay, so he's running. Then in that moment, I was like, oh, he's running. Because <laughs> you give her that 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 bomb, and he's like, okay, you deal with it. So I'm like, yeah, no, he's running in 2024. But I actually don't have an issue with him running again. What I have an issue with is him not announcing that he's running, because I think a lot of the heat that's on Vice President Kamala Harris is because they are trying to like it's their fail safe in case she runs in 2024 and he doesn't. And mm -hmm. so I think that they would be stronger as an administration and as a ticket in 2024 if he would just come on out and say, and I said this on election night, I said the best thing that Joe Biden could do for Kamala Harris is immediately announce he's running in 2024. If he had done that a year ago or, you know, in January, I think we would have looked at a, a much different, it wouldn't have been a completely different, but we would have looked at a much different landscape for Vice President Kamala Harris and just in political coverage in general. So I have no issue with Joe Biden running again. I'm all for it. I would love for him to do exactly what you said and turn over the baton while he's in office um, so that, you know, it, it's, she's an incumbent at that point, you know? Right, right. Um, also, I mean, it's hard to get three terms of um, any particular political party. So, right. you know, it might, it might be a little shaky if she, if he does 2024, 
And then she has to run in 2028 um, without being president, you know, just right. being the vice right. president. People just might want to change just for that reason alone. But 2024 and then anytime between 2024 and 2028, if you want to go on ahead and step aside, I'm all for that. I think he would do it. I think I think he would say to himself, this is I did this thing. I I I made damn sure that we were going to get the first woman president. I did that like that. I think that well, matters did. to him. I he think already it did that. He yeah. did that with mm-hmm. with her, with him transferring powers. Vice President Kamala Harris is the first woman president. I don't care if it was acting. It was the woman president. <laughs> she had the nuclear codes. OK, so that means she was the woman president, first woman president. So that history is already solidified. It might have a little bit of an asterisk with this. So we just got to remove that asterisk. Um, but I'm satisfied with that because at, at this point, anybody wants to say anything about delegates, the 2020 primaries, I'm going to say, does your person have the nuclear codes? Have they ever been entrusted with the nuclear codes? No. Okay. So then be gone. They're not on the same level, period. Not the same thing. Um, So how can we support Kamala going forward in the work she's doing? How can we, the people listening to this, we want to get the message out. We want to make sure to fight against it. I mean, other than calling it out when we see it, which I've been trying, you know, I try to do, is there anything else that we can do? Well, you know, I think one of the areas that's lacking is people who have the power of the pen, you know, they're, they need to write about Vice President Kamala Harris. I wrote um, an op-ed for the GRIO and I pushed back on this invisible narrative and I got a hugely positive response. I mean, granted, people who follow me are obviously looking for that kind of content, but even other people who shared it got really positive responses. And so she's very much outgunned in the in the uh, written space, in the news written space, whether it's op-eds. Most of these are op-eds, by the way, yeah. that she's getting trashed. I mean, you mentioned it. They're, they're kind of testing out these different narratives to see what sticks. So if you have the ability to submit an uh, an editorial to some kind of paper, use that, you know? And it doesn't have to be this big, massive thing. I mean, I might write one on what just happened on um, with, with, with the transfer of power, but use the power of your pen in, in terms of the news media coverage landscape to support her. You know, we cannot take that for granted because they're not taking it for granted to use it to, to try to detract from her. We have to share more positive things about what she's doing. You know, we have to have conversations about her. You know, for me, I was tripping off the fact that like, hey, vice president, from my perspective, has been under siege right this week with all these things. Every black person in America should be like, what is going on? Why are they coming after Kamala? You know, the same way when like, for instance, Ellen Pompeo came after Denzel and it was like, oh, hell no, you're not coming after Denzel. Like everybody knew about it. It was like water cooler talk with black folks, you know? So it's like, you know, or with Obama, if somebody came after Obama, if somebody came after Michelle, we all kind of knew about it. It was like the underground railroad of like conversation. And so we have to, we have to make her more relevant in our lives because she is relevant, you know? And she has to do that to a certain extent herself. It's not just on us, but, you know, I think talking about her in conversation, writing about her, not just about the attacks on her, because I don't want people to take away from all these attacks that she's weak or that she's being weakened because she's not weak. Nobody else has a hundred million votes under their belt, just her. Joe has more, but he's not her competitor, you know? Um, So no other competitor or would-be competitor has a hundred million votes under their belt. Nobody has won all of their general elections, but her, you know? And so- 
that is what we really need to focus on is how strong she is and how competent she is and how hard she's working. So if we focus more on the positive and the power that she has, the fact that she's meeting with world leaders in bilateral meetings, then we start to change the narrative. But if we only talk about the attacks without equal conversation about her strength, then we're not really helping the way we could be. Excellent. All right. So we got that. Those are the marching orders. Okay. Now yes. we know. So uh, what's next for you, Reese, and where can we find you on the internet? Well, you can find me at Black Woman Views, blackwomanviews.com, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And I'm just going to keep doing more of what I've been doing, you know, just speaking out um, about the issues that matter to me. And um, I will always be, you know, Kamala Harris's defender in chief, of course. But, you know, I, I talk about a lot of things. I don't just talk about Kamala all the time. I talk about politics. I talk about entertainment. Uh, different movies I'm watching series. I do like live recaps of shows that I'm into. And so, yeah, you can just, you can catch me on that and you can catch me on Roland Martin Unfiltered every Thursday, Clay Kane show on Sirius XM Urban View every Thursday. And yeah, catch me online anytime. Excellent. This has been so great. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Greg, for having me. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sofia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Sigmund Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. MSW.